0: Well, good morning. We want to welcome you to Redeemer and glad that you can join us for this time of worship. If you happen to be visiting with us, uh, we want to give you a very special welcome and hope that you can make a connection with a few other people uh, after our our service. We have a, a coffee and a cookie time and just hope you can connect with a few people before you head out. And uh, another way that we encourage people to uh, get connected at Redeemer is to uh, text the word welcome uh, to the number that's on the screen there and to uh, let us know that you are with us. And uh, there's, we'd love to be able to pray for you and just be able to support you and encourage you however uh, you might need. If you prefer to use paper, there's a uh, 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 connect card in the uh, pocket in front of you. Uh, you can just fill that out and put it in the offering plate Uh, it serves in the same purpose so uh, just a few announcement classes you can just look through the bullets and you can see the various uh, classes that are offered uh, during the Sunday school hour and I just wanted to also note that our boys club and girls club is canceled this week but it will resume on March 1st so that's all my announcements let's take a moment now and prepare our hearts as we come before our holy God Well, when we recognize the greatness of the God that we come to worship this morning, we realize that we cannot come half-heartedly. The psalmist King David reminds us in Psalm 9, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all of your wonderful deeds. I will be glad and exult in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most high. Well, with whole hearts in reverence and joy, let us stand to come Christians, join to sing. God and Heavenly Father, as we are mindful of your glory and of your greatness and of the fact that we will be singing your praises forevermore, when we think about it in our glorified bodies, we think about understanding the fullness of who you are in all of eternity. Lord, we are in awe of your wonder, and we look forward to you giving our hearts yet another uh, understanding and a deeper grasp uh, of your wonder. Uh, This morning, we ask that your spirit would guide us uh, in our understanding of who you are, our fairest Lord Jesus. Amen. as we consider the word of our God, the fact that he has revealed himself uh, through the scriptures, uh, the fact that his character is displayed uh, through uh, the Ten Commandments, the demonstration of uh, his holiness through each commandment, and we are going through that particular series right now, uh, and we are at the Third uh, Commandment, and uh, so uh, as Moses uh, met with God on the mountain, uh, you know that he was concerned to know God's name before he went to tell Israel uh, who it is that was, uh, he was calling them to come and to worship him, uh, that he wanted to know the name of God, Yahweh, the great I Am. And so uh, the third commandment is all focused upon the reverence of the name of our God. So here, now the commandment, and then we will confess together the unpacking of that commandment with our larger catechism. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. And so answering this question, what is required in the third commandment? The third commandment requires that the name of God, his titles, attributes, ordinances, the word, sacraments, prayer, oaths, vows, his works, and whatsoever else there is, whereby he makes himself known, be holy and reverently used in thought, meditation, word, and writing by a holy profession and answerable conversation to the glory of God and to the good of ourselves and others. And so as we think about the way that this commandment is unpacked and the duties that are required, right, it says there, answerable conversation. In other words, uh, when you think other places in scripture where it says that God uh, is going to judge every thought, every word, every deed, Uh, That is done. And so, when we uh, have uh, an understanding of that, hopefully uh, by God's grace, He will rein in our tongues uh, with uh, uh, more help uh, for our hearts. Because, as James reminds us, uh, the tongue is desperately wicked, or the heart is desperately wicked, but the tongue is uh, deceitful and is able to set on fire just by one spark what our tongues are able to do. And so, in whatever ways your hearts have been pricked. Uh, by God's word and that his spirit would lead you in confession as we go to him in silent prayer. Father, we acknowledge that we are made in your image, that you are a God who speaks, that you spoke the universe into existence, that you speak and it is your word by the power of your spirit that transforms us as sinners. And we know, Lord, that we have been given power to bless and to curse. We know that our tongues can be used for praising you and for cursing our neighbor and yet you have reminded us in your word that this cannot be. That you have called us that with our hearts, with our minds, with our mouths and with our lives that we are called to honor your name. That as those who profess to be Christians that you have placed your name upon us and that whatever we do It bears upon your name. And so we come asking that you would forgive us our sin. Forgive us for not representing you well. Forgive us for the misuse of our tongues. That list is too long. But we give you thanks for your mercy, for your help. That though, if we were able to control our tongue, that we would be, as James says, a perfect man. And yet, by your grace, Lord, you can help us to be those that speak with reverent awe of you. With joy of the grace that is ours in Christ. And to celebrate, even in our time of worship, using our tongues to bless your holy name. Amen. For the Lord offers to us this promise of pardon from Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. Let us rejoice in the mercy of our God as we sing, Breathe on me, O breath of God. Please stand.
1: give thanks to god father we come before you this morning we thank you for this day for another day to serve you to worship you we thank you for the abundant sunshine this morning we just thank you for the beauty of your creation and all that you've provided for us father we thank you for this place we thank you that we can gather together we thank you uh, for prayer and we thank you that we can not only uh, pray to you uh, directly, but also that we can pray uh, with and for others. Uh, we thank you for the prayer ministry here at church and pray that uh, uh, more would come and, uh, and see the benefits of, of conversing with you and, uh, and praying to you and uh, being in your word. We thank you for the Bible studies uh, where we can study the scriptures together. Uh, we thank you for the food pantry ministry yesterday. Thank you for uh, those who served and for all those who came and were, uh, were blessed uh, by the gifts that were able to be given to them. And Father, we thank you for your grace and mercy upon our lives. We thank you that you do not treat us as our sins deserve, but that you forgive us and that you forgive all our iniquity. We thank you for uh, the sacrifice of Christ, that our sins can be forgiven and that we can be put in a right relationship with you once again. And we thank you, Lord, for the day uh, that we look forward to, the day to come, when Christ returns, when, uh, for those in Christ, there will be no more pain, no more sorrow, and no more tears. And we thank you, Lord, uh, for the promises uh, that we read in your scripture and even the hope that Job had. For I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last he will stand upon the earth. After my skin has thus been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. I will see him with my own eyes. And We thank you, Lord, uh, for your word, for the promises, for the assurances that we can have. And as we come to the reading and the preaching of your word once again this morning, uh, we thank you uh, for the good news of the gospel. And we pray that you would be with Pastor DeBoer this morning. Pray that you would give him all that he stands in need of. He would be bold in his proclamation of your word and we pray that you would help us uh, to hear well once again the good news of the gospel we thank you for the tithes and offerings that we are uh, about to give uh, as we give a portion back of what you have blessed us with lord we pray that these funds would be used uh, to further your kingdom here in our community and to the ends of the earth and we ask this all in jesus name amen
2: Before we go to prayer together, there's one additional item that I'd like you to pray about. Item is a strange thing to say, one additional person. (laughs) So Elle Platt is going in tomorrow to remove a stainless plate in her wrist. She broke her wrist a couple of years ago, and that plate is irritating her. It's it's not comfortable. And so she's going to have that replaced tomorrow, and we're going to pray that that surgery is not only successful But what replaces it would then be comfortable. So there are many other things that are in our bulletin. Again, we love to pray in our church. And so this is a time, an exalted time. And I would ask you to join your heart with mine as we go before our God in prayer. Our dear and glorious Father in heaven, When you explain to us what it means to walk by your Spirit, you say in your word that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, and patience. And we understand what it means to have the love of Christ. Your word has explained that to us in various places, and we are thankful that you give us that love both for you and for others We also confess that sometimes it is difficult to love you and it is difficult to love those around us. And we confess that often that love is made difficult because of the circumstances of our lives. We come into your presence this morning singing and joyful, but also very conscious that the world as it currently exists is not the way it will eventually be. You have made the promise that one day when Christ returns, all things will be made right. There will be no need for sorrow or tears. There will be no pain. There will be no heartache. Because our Savior who came to redeem humanity, the Bible says, when those firstfruits are gathered, all things will be made right. And we groan along with creation this morning in anticipation of that coming day. And we pray that in this service, especially through your word, you would teach us what it means, both to love you, but especially to know that you love us. Because sometimes in the middle of the pain and the sorrow and the struggle of life, we begin to doubt whether that is true. And so we come again this morning to hear that it is true. That you are not a God out there somewhere who is just pulling the strings of our lives, with little regard to who we are and how it affects us, but you are our Father. You are our God. You are the one who loves us. You loved us before the creation of the world. You set your affection on us. And the events of our lives, as difficult as they are, are not designed simply to hurt us. In fact, they are not designed to hurt us at all. They're designed to draw us to you, to refine us, to shape us, to conform us to the image of Christ. And so we pray along with that love that you would give us joy. The apostle says that we can rejoice even in the middle of trials and difficult circumstances. And we pray that joy would not be artificial. There's a certain strand of Christianity, maybe even a strand that we share in, that says when we ask each other, how are you doing? The correct answer, the godly answer is always great. And we pray that in this congregation we would learn because it is godly in the appropriate place and time to be honest with each other and to see in the middle of the circumstances of life a genuine joy that springs up, not from our own desire for it to be true, from our own resources, but we would, along with the Scriptures, be able to say we are joyful because our God reigns. Because he is at work. There are many happy things in life. And we are so thankful for them. We thank you for all those children. Who came yesterday evening to this building. For the fundraiser. For our youth groups. We thank you for the families they represent. We thank you for their moms and their dads. We thank you for the older children. We thank you for those who are in college. We thank you for those of us who are in that middle age. We thank you for our seniors. Lord, there, is many reason to be th- there are many reasons to be thankful this morning, to be filled with joy, and we are. But we pray that it would be a genuine joy. Not conjured up because we feel as though it ought to be, but the love of Christ would lead us to joy. And then, Lord, we pray that you would add to that joy peace, To really be able to celebrate in you that the events of our lives are designed and fashioned and controlled out of love for us should lead us to peace. And we confess that's often not true. That may be true for some of those we're going to name in just a moment. It's difficult to find peace. We're struggling with a long-term illness or when we don't know how things will turn out in life. And we wrestle with that desire for peace becoming frustrated sometimes with others and even with you. And we pray that that love that brings joy would also produce peace in our hearts. And add to that love, joy, peace, also patience, Lord. And that is what we pray specifically for those who are on our prayer list this morning, that you would give them great patience. Because each of them, may struggle to find that is true in their own way and we pray that lord you would be the god who ministers not only in very public and obvious ways but but also minister to us in the cry in the quiet moments of our lives when we pray and read the scripture and seek to find the patience to endure we pray for all of those on our list who are struggling health con- with health concerns, some of them very long-term, some of them shorter. We pray for Al as she faces this surgery this coming week. May you give the results that she desires, that you would make her more comfortable. We pray for Louise that you would also help her as she recovers. Lord, may the procedure she had done also give um, help to her back, that it would not hurt so badly. We pray for Dorothy Biker. We're thankful, Lord, for her recovery. And we pray for patience for her as she she continues to do so. We pray for Dwayne Torrance. We pray for our precious brother. Especially that gift of patience after many illnesses. Some of them very, very serious. Lord, that you would give him patience while he waits for that recovery. We pray for... Rich Mama, Lord, we are thankful for the great report we've received from him and the stem cell transplant that he had, Lord. We pray for patience with him also as he waits for those stem cells to do their work so that he can come back to worship and engage in life again. We pray for Mickey Kite. We pray for her, Lord. Give her in her latter days that kind of patience that is necessary waiting for your timing in all things. We pray for Zach, Lord, in the middle of so much upheaval upheaval in Haiti. We ask for patience for him and his co-workers. Lord, they just want to go and do their work and not have to worry about being robbed or shot. Lord, may they have that patience to endure. We pray pray for our Clarice this morning that you would also give her a double measure of that patience, Lord, Patience, not only with her illness, but also with the frustration of not understanding what different doctors are saying and how they fit together. Lord, give her that patience. And then we pray for Gail, especially as she goes in for surgery tomorrow. Lord, give her again, we pray, that patience that is necessary in recovering from surgery. Lord, you know these precious brothers and sisters in the Lord, as well as all the others who are gathered here this morning whatever burden we bring whatever trial we are facing whatever concern weighs down in our heart lord we are here to hear we are here in this place in order to listen to the precious voice of our savior who said we could come to him because he would take our burdens upon himself this one who said that he is tender-hearted that he is kind that he is loving. Lord, we pray that as we open your word in a few moments, Lord, that your spirit would lead us to see the truth about our Savior. We confess all the ways in which we ignore that and we prioritize other things in life. But in this moment, this sacred moment, where we are gathered as your people in your presence, lead us to see the wonders of Jesus again. Lord, thank you for promising in your word that when we come to you in the name of Jesus, you will hear. And so we do in that precious name. Amen. This morning, we're turning in our Bibles to John chapter 5. I am so excited about preaching this sermon. I almost want to give it away (laughs) before we get started. Sometimes I wake up early on Sunday morning because I can't sleep. I'm worried about the sermon. Other times I wake up early on Sunday morning because I can't wait for the sermon. Usually it's somewhere in between, but I'm far more on the side if I could not wait this morning to come and share with you the truth of God's Word. It is such a precious truth. So we're turning in John chapter 5, beginning at verse 19. We're going to read through verse 29. We read this Word. In fact, all of our worship service is oriented around the word of God because in the word, God himself is revealed. And so we pay attention to this word, as a psalmist says, because it is precious to us. more precious than gold, sweeter than honey even. Whatever you can hardly wait to eat for lunch if you're a kid about 13 years old. I know that feeling. It's not been that long ago. Well, it's been a while. When well, you can hardly wait to eat... Right, and you come into the house and it smells so good, and you're like, what are we going to eat? Bring that anticipation to the word of God this morning and see what he has there for you. John chapter 5, verse 19, the word says, "'So Jesus said to them, "'Truly, truly I say to you, "'the Son can do nothing of his own accord, "'but only what he sees the Father doing. "'For whatever the Father does, "'that the Son does likewise.'" For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him, so that you may marvel. For the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all who honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in Himself, so He has granted the Son also to have life in Himself, and He has given Him authority to execute judgment because He is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear His voice and will come out those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment." This is the word of God. My father-in-law, who is also a pastor, a few years older than I am, obviously, is a Dutch immigrant. And explained to me one time how his past affected his view of preaching, and I want to explain that to you. He said he could remember when he was a young man being raised in a very strict, conservative, reformed church. And he remembers going to many services as a child. Every time there was a church service, he was there morning and evening, Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, and there were very many good things that were said in those services. He could remember all kinds of theological truths that are valuable, and we ought to know God is sovereign. He has made a covenant with us. Human beings are sinners. God is judge over sin. God is coming back in Jesus Christ. Believe the truth about justification. Make sure you read the Ten Commandments every Sunday morning. <laughs> All sorts of theological truths. And he did hear about Jesus, he says. And I'm sure this wasn't true of every church that he could remember, but in his mind, the truth about Jesus was often very cold, abstract. It was a removed Jesus, the one you could not, that you could know about, like all you children have learned about Abraham Lincoln. (laughs) You know some facts about Abraham Lincoln, maybe chopping down a cherry tree at some point. That was Abe, right? (laughs) Very nice. That Abe Lincoln, let me try again, (laughs) was the president during the Civil War. Did I get that right? You know facts about Abraham Lincoln, some of you better than I do. But you're never going to welcome Abraham Lincoln into your home. Not just because he's dead, but you won't welcome any president into your home because he's removed from you. He's far off. He is distant. He is power. But he doesn't know you. And my dear father-in-law said that was very often his experience growing up. It was information about God, not the comfort of the gospel. Perhaps that is the sort of church experience that you've had. Just let me tell you, I'm sorry that that is true. And this morning, by God's grace, I want so badly to show you that grace is embodied in Jesus Christ. Or let me say a word to those of you who have not been in church very long. Maybe this morning is the first time you've been in this building, or maybe the first time that you've joined us online. And as you think about Jesus Christ, or perhaps even more as you think about God, you also have a conception of God that God is very distant, He is not familiar to you. You may have lived with a sense of God as a faraway, inaccessible judge somewhere, and there is a fear that results. You also, because of that, have a sense of condemnation. God as the one who will bring you to judgment. There is truth to that, as this passage says. But for you as well, I simply want to tell you this truth. That is not all the Bible says about what God has done. In fact, this passage tells us something that you need to know, and what I am hoping will happen this morning is that you will come to deeply appreciate the truth that is at the heart here of John chapter 5, verses 19 through 29, that you will understand a very important theological truth that is meant to bring you extreme comfort There's just two C words. Now, I know that many of you children picked up a special children's bulletin as you came into worship this morning. I'm really appreciative for the effort that went into that. What I want you to do is something that a young man, I'm not going to identify, does in our service almost every Sunday morning. He tries to pick a couple of words that he knows I'm going to say, and then he counts how many times I say it. It's a pretty good thing to do. I'm going to give him a heads up this morning on what words to write down so we can count them appropriately. You're going to hear the word God a lot. You're going to hear the word Son a lot. And I hope you hear the word comfort a lot. Because those three words really form the heart of John chapter 5, this section. Yeah, I'm going to tell you and I'm going to explain to you why I'm saying this is at the heart of this passage. It says that the closeness between the Father and the Son is designed to bring you comfort. It's that simple. There's a deep theological truth here when I'm going to explain to you in the words and the phrases, but it all adds up to that. And the comfort that I'm talking about is meant to show you that this Jesus is not far away and accessible, but this Jesus is meant for you, my friend. That's the point of this passage. And now you have one for God, one for Son, and one or two or three for comfort. Let me start with the real heart of this passage. There are three things that I want to say to you about this truth. The closeness between the Father and Son is designed to bring you comfort by looking at verse 19 first. There's one all-encompassing truth that that is then explained and then applied. The one all-encompassing truth comes in verse 19, and I'm going to read it for you. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, here's a clue, truly, truly shows up three times in this passage, and every time it's meant to highlight something incredibly important. Here's the first one. Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing, for whatever the Father does... That the son does likewise. Let me clear away a little space in your mind. There's an ancient Christological heresy called Arianism that points to this verse that says, based on the first half of this verse, the son is less than the father. What I'm about to say is that's not true because you have to read both phrases together. So if you read the first half of this verse, what Jesus is saying is that the Son, he says the Son does nothing of his own initiative, but only does what the Father, and we can fill in, the Son and the Spirit together agree to have done. In other words, Already the beginning part of this negative part of verse 19 is meant to emphasize to us a closeness in relationship that exists in all the members of the Trinity, but here what's being highlighted is the closeness between the Father and the Son. Now let me remind you why Jesus would be saying this. In the previous section, Jesus has healed a man who was lame. Remember, he was sitting by a pool hoping that the legend about the angel disturbing the waters would be true, he would jump first into the water and he would be healed. Oh my word, you think he had resorted to that. Along comes Jesus and he asks the man, do you want to be healed? The man says, I have no one to carry me in. Jesus said, I can heal you and he does. Can you imagine those who were watching this happened? They couldn't believe it, except for the Pharisees, except for the Jews, they were not impressed, they were worried. Because in their minds, Jesus violated the principle of the Sabbath. And so they accused Jesus of doing what is wrong. And remember what Jesus says in response. He says, my father has been working up to now, and I do as well. And the Jews said, oh, so you're making yourself out to be God so that's what you're doing? You're saying the work that you do is the work of your father as though you and your father are that close? All of John five nineteen through 29 is Jesus putting in giant neon red letters the word yes. That's exactly what I'm saying. My father and I are that close. The first half of the phrase in verse 19, or the first half of the verse, the first phrase, is meant to say our wills are joined at that level. The second half of verse 19 says, he says, for whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. Not only is there sort of, if you think in your mind, the parameters of what the Son does, are drawn by the Father. This is the work the Son does. That's the first half. The second half is within the parameters. Think of a fence. The first half of the phrase is drawing the fence around. This is where the Father and the Son have agreed to operate. The second half of the verse is, and look at what they do within that fence. Within the parameters, they are doing this work. This is the work. This is what they've agreed to do. And the point that Jesus is making, if I haven't made it already, rather strenuously to you, is that they are in full agreement. The Father and the Son, they're on the same page, I might say. Jesus, in his relationship with the Father, has the only limitation that exists for any member of the Godhead, and that is their agreement together to what they're going to do and we could dive very deeply into theories, well not theories, truth, doctrine, about the nature of the trinity, the relationship, the economy of that relationship, but in this passage Jesus is simply emphasizing something that ought to be very obvious to us as we read this verse. The son And the Father agree to what they're doing, and they do it together. And the reason they do it together is they are both God. They have perfect harmony of desire and action. You can't have one person or one work without the other. That's the point. That's the principle. But then the second thing Jesus does in these verses is give a three-part explanation of how this work together actually shows up. And here I have to tell you that our particular translation misses something in verse 22. It's not a fatal thing. I just want to alert you to this so that you can see why I'm saying some things. At the beginning of verse 22, it does not begin with the word for. If you look at verse 20, it does. If you look at verse 21, it does. In the original, in verse 22, it does as well. The ESV assumes that the four, that begins verse 21, then also takes us through verse 22. But I'm going to divide those two out. So that there are three times the word four appears, and Jesus is giving an explanation about what the closeness between the Father and the Son actually means. The first four occurs in verse 20, for the father loves the son and shows him all that he himself is doing. Now I've noted this, but I want to emphasize it to you. The two work so closely together that the father does not hide what he's doing from the son. They're perfectly together in their plans. The father particularly means to show the son what he means to do, and the son, we know, executes that plan. There is no room in verse 20, for the father is out there with some intention, and the son is way over here with something else. They are together in intention. That's the first four. The closeness of the relationship means they have the same divine intention. Verse 21. Four, the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom He will. If the closest means they have the same divine intention, here's where that intention takes root, or maybe I should say mixing and sort of mixing metaphors, it has wheels. Because that intention in history, history, verse 21 says, takes action... When the Father works life-giving through the Son, the Father brings life. Now, I don't mean to be too complicated about this, and in God's great providence, I thought about this this morning when I woke up and saw what kind of day it was. You know what kind of day it is? Go ahead and say it. S- no, it's Sunday. Why, why? No, you said sunny. That's right. No one's surprised that today is Sunday. Many of us are surprised it's sunny on a Sunday. And when you walk outside and it's sunny on a day like this, doesn't it just cause your heart to lift. There's like something in us that looks at a world where there's the brightness of the sun and says, oh, that's beautiful. You can have that sense about many things in God's creation. I'm not going to bore you again with my story to the Grand Canyon. But there I was standing, I can't help it, there I was standing at the edge of the Grand Canyon And I remember walking up to the edge. And if you've ever been there, you may have had the same reaction. Like, you get to that edge, you're just walking through this pine forest, and all of a sudden you get to the edge of the Grand Canyon, you're like, is this real? Could something so glorious, so grand, so big, so unimaginable exist? I mean, I still find it hard. My first thought was somebody has fooling us and has painted something. Maybe you've had that same thought. I had that thought early on when I was dating my wife. Well, of course, the first thought was she's beautiful. But then I remember the thought I had when we went to Whistler in British Columbia. If you've been to Whistler, it's part of the Canadian Rocky Mountains. It's incredible. It's incredible. You see it and you think, can this exist? How is this possible? Maybe you have that sense if you're a scientist when you look at the smallness, the intricacy of this creation. Maybe you have it naturally when you're a parent and you have a child and you look at that child and remember our first child counting his toes and his fingers and being amazed. They all worked. It's not hard to be amazed by the creative, life-giving power of our God. He created all of this, every single little bit. This all exists because God has made it. That's easy to see. Now Jesus is saying the same God who gave life to the world, he gives that same life-giving power to his son, Jesus Christ. Not only in the sense that the son is the mediator of creation, but also the son has the ability to give new life, as we read about in John chapter 3. And the point of this is that you'll be amazed by it. That's how verse 21 ends. It is the desire of the Father and the Son to be, for you to be amazed by their life-giving power, the amazing life-giving power of Creator God, the Father's work all around you, and match it or even exceed it. I hope that's the right thing to say. May your amazement be exceeded by what you see in the life-giving power of Jesus Christ they can take someone and remake them renew them the closeness of the father and the son is not only intention it is execution which leads me to the third four as i said already the esv omits but i'm going to read it for you for the father judges no one but has given all judgment to the son the ultimate four, you might say, where all of that eventually leads. The final explanation for how the closeness of the Son and the Father lead to the ultimate end of creation, the ultimate end of the human story, your story, and everyone's life. The Father and Son have common purpose. The Father and Son have life-giving Power. And I hope you don't mind if I'm a little pointed with you. They also intend to hold everybody accountable for the way that they respond. Maybe you know this. If you don't, I'm going to tell you again. The Bible says there's coming a judgment day in which every person will stand before the face of God. This God who's made everything that exists, the God who brings the sunshine, the God who formed your child, The God who carved the Grand Canyon out of rock. This God will hold you accountable for the way that you've lived in his world and used his things. And verse 22 says, The Father has given the Son the right to judge. Which I take to mean, not only are we accountable for how we live in God's world and use his things but also we're accountable specifically to the way that we respond to Jesus Christ. How you, how you respond to him is no small thing. It's not a matter of, well, it's not my religious choice. <laughs> you know, people have different sort of proclivities when it comes to religious activities. Some of them, <laughs> as a man once told me, he said, uh, I'm just not very religious, Verse 22 says, The Father judges no one, has given judgment to the Son. It is the Son who judges not only how we live in this world, but the Son is Lord and King. We are called to respond to Him. If you look past verse 22 to verses 25 through 29, you you can see the extent of Jesus' right to judge. I'm a little hesitant to run too much through what Jesus says here. It would require, rather, a very slow walk because there's a lot here. But I want to point out some of the more striking elements of verses 25 through 29 because they are meant to emphasize the right of Jesus Christ to judge. The Father and the Son close in purpose, close in their plan of redemption to give life, and also close in their desire and their plan, and the execution of the judgment of all things. Verse 27 says that Jesus has the complete power to execute judgment as the Son of Man. This, as you might know, is a reference to Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, where the Son of Man has complete power, glory, and rule. This is Jesus. And verses 28 and 29 add the future reality of a coming judgment, the one that Jesus will execute This is what I'm talking about. It is most certainly a day when every person will stand to be judged. And it says, the righteous to eternal life, the ungodly to eternal damnation. The right to to determine this belongs to Jesus. He is king, he is lord, he is sovereign over all. So, if I can just review with you these three fours, not to be too confusing... The common, the connection, the closeness of the connection to verse 19 is worked out in verses 20, 21, and 22. They have a common purpose. They have a common life-giving power. And they will together judge all men. Which leaves me this morning with the two truly-truly's in the middle. In verses 24, 25, and 26, and this is really where I wanted to go. This seems to be at the heart of what Jesus is saying. Not only are their father and the son absolutely close, the father is God over all, the son is God over all, they share the same purpose, they share the same life-giving ability, they have the same ability to judge at the end. I've said that enough times that I'm hoping that I'll remember it as well as you. But now, what is the point? What is the point to Jesus revealing these theological truths? In order to show you this point, I want to return to where I started this morning. To those of us who have sat through sermons, perhaps many sermons, in which we have sensed a great distance between God and us, this point is for you. May I even confess that sometimes the point of the sermon was to show you that great distance existed because that seemed godly in the moment. It wasn't, but perhaps it seemed so. And here I want to say a special thank you to a woman in our church who this previous week helped me show the importance of this truth, this coming truth, the one I'm going to talk to you about that lies at the heart of this passage. She helped me see that it's possible for many of us to be in church for many years, hear many sermons that do not draw us to God, but talk a lot about God and leave us feeling empty, longing for so much more. Does that resonate with you? That's why verses 24, 25, and 26 exist. And I want to read them for you one more time. It says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into a judgment, but has passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and now is here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. That's the heart of this passage. All of this closeness between the Father and the Son are meant to bring you to this truth. That the Son's desire, the Son's existence in this world is meant so that you would believe in Him, you would find peace and comfort in Him, you would Turn to him in faith and find eternal life. If that is true, you have not, you do not have any fear for the judgment that is coming. Instead, you can know you have passed from death to life. And to add to that, Jesus says, the time is here right now where you can hear the voice of Jesus Christ and Right now, you can hear that voice, Jesus says, and you can live. How is that possible? Jesus says it's possible not just by hearing my words, but by believing in the one who is standing in front of you, by resting and trusting in Jesus Himself. In God's way of working His economy, the way in which we come to have new life is not Him. Jesus comes to bring that new life. That was always the Father's intention. That's what the Father has applied His power to do. That's how to avoid the judgment of damnation in the end. Jesus says, just come to Me and I will give you life. And when you have that life, you can have peace. And listen to this, comfort in my work. Remember how John opens, John 1 verse 4. It says, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and in him was what? In him was life, and that life is the light of men. That's been the whole point of the Gospel of John. From its very opening, John means to show you that in Jesus Christ, you can have life. And I don't mean just that you can live and breathe and your synapses can fire and you can drive home and eat some delicious food, I'm sure. The kind of life that Jesus is talking about is what we heard about in John 3, verse 16. There... Jesus explains to a religious man that you need to be born again. There's a second life. Not just to live in this world, but to find life through Jesus Christ. So that I can say to you, the whole book of John seems dead set, insistent, coming back over and over to this about Jesus. Believe in him and you can have life. You can. And I say that this morning, in fact, I appeal to you. Do not think about that as some grand theological truth removed from you. But instead, look at it with the intention with which Jesus speaks. Hardly meaning to underestimate it, not wanting to overspeak, but I can't help it. That has been the Father's design From the beginning, it is the heart of what the Father intends to do. Can I put it this way? Nothing is more important to the God of the universe than you would find life in Jesus Christ. And you know what the beauty of it is? It's right here. How many things in life have you worked for so hard you have tried and tried and tried in your business. This previous week, I talked to a young woman out with a friend. <laughs> we were eating at a restaurant. I had met the owner of that restaurant before. And I wondered if he was there. I want to interview him for my podcast. He's a wonderful Christian man. And so a young woman walked by and I said, Hey, can I talk to your boss? She looked me square in the eye. She was about 30 years old. She looked me square in the eye. She said, I'm an owner. I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry. I made a terrible assumption. But she went to find her boss, brought him back, and I said, I didn't realize. He said, it's been my intention since I started this business to identify one or two people and to give them ownership over time. That's what I wanted to do. That is a beautiful, glorious Example of someone who has worked hard over time has taken years and years and years for this young woman to reach the point where she is a part owner. You may have experienced something like that in your life. You have worked and worked and worked. And maybe it has worked out very well like it did for this young woman. Maybe it's failed miserably. Can I say that? Some of us have raised our children for 18 years. They have gone and they never call. That's not true for me. Sorry, Josiah, if you're listening. I'll call you this afternoon, buddy. But maybe they have left home. They've rebelled. Maybe your work that you've, you've worked for so hard, you're at the same company for 30-some years, and they show up one day and say, sorry, you need to leave. Failure, it feels like. Something you've worked so far, hasn't so hard for, hasn't delivered. Here's the beauty of the gospel, my friend. The beauty of the gospel is not that Jesus is saying, you could find peace if you only worked a little harder. Could you try harder? Could you do more? Could you be a better person? Could you raise your children better? Give more money to the church? Do all these things, and finally, when you do everything right, you're welcome into my presence. That's not what Jesus says. The offer of the gospel is the freest offer that exists in the world that costs you one thing, your life. You must be willing to entrust yourself into the hands, in the words of John 5, of the one who holds the universe. And if you do, you can find true comfort and peace. I can remember those days when I was a young man sitting in church. This building doesn't have it. You can look up if you want. This building doesn't have what the church that I grew up in had. There were boards. I remember thinking to myself, if I count slow enough, I can work my way all the way from that side to that side, and maybe we'll be done. And realizing sometimes the sermons, especially in the evening, it took all the way there and all the way back, and we still weren't done. And I'm sure my pastor, as a young man, preached the gospel. I'm not disparaging him in any way. But I also don't remember him at any point saying, the point of the gospel of John is the gracious offer of Jesus Christ for you. And I don't want to miss that with you. I don't want you to leave here and you think, I understand more about how the Father and the Son work together. Isn't it beautiful? I want you to know that if it leads you to verses 24, 25, and 26, and you can say, I believe in Him. I know Him. He is my God. I can entrust myself to Him. I'm not just some blob in the universe among many others. No, I am His precious, precious son or daughter. And the power that the Son and the Father possess together, the great intention, the life-giving Spirit, the ability to judge at the end of time, that's applied for good for me. Even if you look around your world this morning and you don't see it in every way, you're struggling with a lifelong illness, your job's not going well, your marriage is in trouble, whatever it is, let me turn you to the purest source of comfort the world has ever known. Jesus Christ. The closeness between the Father and the Son is meant to bring you comfort. Amen. Holy Father, I pray that what we have heard and seen would not be me, but instead, as the Gospel of John says in chapter twelve twenty one, instead your people would have seen Jesus. Father, we do not mean to disparage where we have come from or those who have gone before us. They have contributed to us. But we do mean to clearly understand that the gospel of Jesus Christ is a central truth from which all of theology flows. And if we miss Jesus Christ, we can be the most well-informed, we can be the best behaved, we can be the kindest person Everyone can admire us and want to be us. But if we are not resting and relying on Jesus Christ, we have bought the devil's foolish bargain. We have believed that our lives are our own. And Father, we pray for each person who's here, each person who may even be listening to this ten years in the future, that they would hear these powerful news, this powerful news that our calling this morning, the calling that we hear is to hear the word and believe him who sent Jesus that we may have eternal life. Do this, we pray, by your Spirit's power. Amen. Let's stand and sing together. Pastor Jonathan said, "After the service, there's Sunday school classes for the kids. If you're not sure where your kids to go and you're new here, I'll be at the back door, and I can tell you. Otherwise, for the adults, at quarter after eleven, we have sermon discussion. As you might have noticed, there are many things in this text I did not cover in detail, and so if you'd like to ask about those, you're more than welcome. Or if there's something else about the sermon, please come. I'd love to discuss it with you. Now, receive this blessing as you leave this time of worship."